how to see and share Jesus from all of Scripture, well, learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. My name is Josh Redberg, and I'm guest hosting this episode. Nate Aiken, our normal host, is away this week, but I'm here with John Aiken. We're continuing to work through uh, the book of Proverbs, and we're at Proverbs chapter 4. So John, as I look at Proverbs chapter 4, it appears that in most English translations, it's divided into three sections. Why don't you walk us through this chapter and, and show us how you would divide it and how we should think about it as we break it down sort of in our own thinking. Yeah, so I I would agree with the three different sections. Um, and so basically, it's going to break down into the first nine verses are this idea of getting wisdom. And so it's, again, the personification of wisdom that Solomon's telling his son that he needs to have mm-hmm. a relationship with. The second section would be uh, verses 10 through 19. And this this is a return to the metaphor of wisdom being a path mm. that you walk. And, um, and so it's, uh, so the, the idea is that, you know, wisdom is a destination. You're, you're on a journey, you're on a, uh, you're on a roadway towards it. And it's, so it's going to re- require uh, continual work and, you know, habitual, habitual work. And then the last is uh, 20 through 27. And that's really dealing with, how the heart is kind of the command center of of your life, yeah. and so wisdom needs to be uh, on. You know, it needs you need to receive it through your senses, eyes, and ears, and then and then it stores in your heart, and then then your life is lived. You know, from the overflow of your heart, a, a life of wisdom, and so that would be the three ways I would I would break it down. So a lot of this seems to be um, repeating some of the earlier themes. But maybe this last section is where the maybe some newer material comes up. Is that is that how you look at this chapter? Yes, I, mean, I think you've seen some hints along the way about uh, you know multiple times in in chapter two and chapter three he's talking about you know um, attending to these things with your heart and 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 that kind of thing. But it becomes much more explicit here. I mean, with with the idea that. Uh, keep your heart with all vigilance there in verse 23 for from it flow the springs of life um, is just a, is a pretty, um, you know, monumental concept. And, um, and obviously all kinds of theology that we, we can talk about from Jesus and other places in the, in the scriptures of how, um, you know, it's not, it's not what goes into a man from the outside that defiles him, but it's what, it's what springs forth from the heart. Yeah. Um, And so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big concept. And again, there's there's some hints at it along the way, but this is much more emphasis here. Now, in verse one, it says, listen, sons, and the sons there are plural. I know when we looked at the overview of the book of Proverbs, we talked about how it was a king preparing his son. Why do you think there's a change to plural sons here? Is that something that you think is significant? Or what would the reason that you would uh, see that change? I personally think the change is because this is this is a little bit different from all the other um all the other places where 
where Solomon's giving instruction to his son, because this is talking about multi-generational hmm. passing down of wisdom. So it's, it's, this is, this is Solomon reminding his son or telling his son of what David taught him hmm. when he was, a, when he was a child. Yeah. Um, and then, so, so I think it's the sons in terms of just passing it down generation after generation. So the sons may not even necessarily be multiple sons as we think of them of Solomon, but really like son, grandson, great grandson would be included in that plural son. Yes. Yes. And I don't, I don't think it, it, it doesn't have to be that. I mean, I think Solomon had other, you know, he had sons and he, I'm sure he taught this to beyond the one who, you know, Rehoboam, who was going to be the successor to the throne. Yeah. Uh, so I think, but I, so I think it's a both and, but it's a, clear the emphasis of this passage is, is, hey, what David taught me, I'm teaching you. This is, this is something we need to pass down generation after generation to, to establish the kingdom. So maybe that transitions us a little bit into how to preach this in a Christ-centered way. You have the connections there with David, so continuing to emphasize the fact that this is a royal book for a king. Um, right. I assume also getting to new covenant issues in, in, at the end with talking about the heart and a change in heart. But how else would you look at, what would you focus in on when you were trying to get to Christ um, from Proverbs 4? Yeah, so I think there's probably three or so ways, or maybe a couple, like three clear ways, I think, in what the author is doing, then maybe some hints, uh, some places. But yeah, in, in that first section, I think that you're you're going to, again, make these connections to wisdom being royal. This is, uh, and wisdom being the daily living out of the law or the covenant. This is Deuteronomy 17, right? That the king's to be a, a man of the law um, so that he doesn't depart from it, so that the kingdom is established, so that the dynasty is established. And so we're seeing that here where he says, I mean, what David taught him um, is let your heart hold fast my words there in verse four, keep my commandments and live. And so so David, who was, again, somebody who had written down a copy of the law of Moses, uh, is, is now passing that down to, to Solomon and saying, you need to keep these commandments and live. And it's exactly what David does in First Kings 2 when he's preparing him to take over the, the, the throne. Um, and so now Solomon's passing that down to his son. And there's this recognition that we've got to have a king who can, who can keep the law, who is a king of wisdom in order for these things to be established. And so I think that's the first way. Um, second way is, again, this idea of wisdom being um, personal, you know, that, that all these things that he says there in verse six, do not forsake her. She will keep you, love her, and she will guard you you know, go on, prize her highly, she'll honor you, so forth. And so we believe the personification of wisdom, um, of Solomon's wisdom, and ultimately of God's, as we'll see in chapter eight, um, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that that Jesus is the embodiment of the wisdom of God. And the only way you're going to be wise, doesn't matter how high your IQ is, is if you have a personal relationship with him. Um, you know, he's uh, our wisdom, our, our righteousness, you know, from the Lord. And so uh, so that would be the second way. So John, and then, John, let me ask yeah, you on that. Would you maybe go to someplace like Matthew 7, if you were teaching this? I think of Jesus talking about building your uh, your life on on his words. Um, it's sort of like that that wisdom context as the only way to survive the the storm of destruction, the storm of judgment that comes. Is that maybe one of these, a place you might go to connect some of this if you were teaching through it? Yes. 
I would, I, there, you know, there's, that's, that, that's one of the key ones. So I, I would go to, obviously you'd go to Luke two in terms of Jesus being the one who grows in wisdom and stature favor with God, man. We, we mentioned that, I think last week, um, last week's podcast, you would go to the Sermon on the Mount uh, in its conclusion. Absolutely. Um, you would go to, I believe, I believe in Luke seven, there is a connection to where G, where Jesus says wisdom is is vindicated by her children, and he's refer, yeah. you know referring to his own ministry. You go to First Corinthians one, you go to Colossians one, um, you go to Matthew twelve, um, and so those are those are some of the key yeah some of the key places. Another place that I think needs further um, research, and I, I do have some friends in who are doing doctoral work who are looking at some of these things, is that. The Proverbs, uh, I mean, the, the 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 parables themselves in in chapter one in the prologue, uh, one of the words that Solomon uses to talk about the purpose of the book, like to impart wisdom and da 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 da, is is the uh, is the word in the Septuagint for parables. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. Jesus is as he's as he's teaching the parables, he's doing he's being a sage who is dispensing wisdom, the wisdom of the kingdom. Uh, and so that's another place I think that that there'd be some very fruitful connections. Yeah, those are great. So you said that'd be the second one is the personification of wisdom, and then the third one is at the end of the chapter. I think so. Um, again, this is the, the idea here is the, this way the idea of of way or path. And so again, I think we, we could point it to John uh, fourteen that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That um, and, and so. I would I would make those uh, those connections uh, there, I, and I have made those connections there that we are um, to to walk this path. And to what I would also say there, which I do a lot of in um, in my in my commentary on, on Proverbs, is to say that like whatever whatever way you're walking in life, if there if there are areas of your life that you're walking in foolishness rather than walking in wisdom, then what it's showing is some, some kind of, uh, you know, detriment in, in terms of your walk with Jesus, that you're, that you're, you know, you're out of step with the yeah. way. Um, and, and so I think one of the reasons that that's really helpful for me in Proverbs is to say, we, we need to get rid of this, some of these ways that we kind of do sacred secular divides um, because I think mm-hmm. Proverbs does away with a lot of that. And and Proverbs is showing all of the different little practical areas of your life that you think aren't really about worship or whatever they actually are. And if you're, you know, smart enough to your your mom, it's not just that you're violating uh, you know, the part of the Ten Commandments, but but you're also out of step with Jesus. Like if you're yeah. if you're lazy and you're not able to, you know, finish assignments that have been given to you or finish a, a work project uh, on a, on a deadline that's been given to you, then, then it's showing some issue in your relationship with Jesus. So you're not, you're not walking in the path of wisdom in the path of Jesus Christ. And so that's one of the things I point out there. And that, and that section is just like, man, we're, th- this is what we're, we're called to. And when we are out of step, then it shows that we're out of step with Jesus. Do you think when you were preaching through this passage or when you would preach it again in the future, do you pull in some later proverbs to make the point of what you're saying? You know, here it's making this point that it's a comprehensive look at life. It's not just like when we go to church, mm-hmm. it's all of life. 
that's why in chapters 10 through the end of the book, it hits on all these parts of life. Like for instance, if you're acting like a fool here and you quote a later proverb, you're actually out of step with Jesus. Is that Mm -hmm. a way you would apply this, this particular point of wisdom being a way to follow Jesus, walking in the way of Jesus? Yes. Yeah. And so I, I do, um, when I've preached it before, uh, I do like, so for example, I'll just give an example of this that I used before. Um, part, part of it, part of it, I just, I'm pulling in one Solomon is saying Solomon is looking at this, like you said, as a comprehensive view of life. He's also looking at this as a comprehensive set of teachings that he's like, when he's saying here, my instruction, be attentive to my words, he's talking about the rest of the book. Right. And so I think yeah. he's trying to get buy-in. And so I think it's only, only natural for us as we're teaching it to say, okay, so when he's, when he's trying to get buy-in on, the, on these certain things, here's kind of what he's talking about. Here's some examples of what he's talking about. And so I, so I've used in, in this passage specifically, like if you, um, you know, you're not, you don't rebuke somebody in, in sin that you're, you're called to, to, to speak up and to, and, and to, you know, confront them. If you don't do that, then showing that you have a problem with Jesus. If you're, if you're withholding discipline from your children and you're saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to use the rod and the rebuke. Well, I mean, that's, it may sound nice and loving, but you're out of step with Jesus. I mean, that, so, so I, so I do pull those things in, uh, to try to, to try to be real practical about what this looks like. Yeah, that's good. I was thinking about particularly verse 23, that familiar verse about guarding your heart above all else for this is the source of life. Um, and the, the statement Jesus makes to the Pharisees in John 5, where he says, you search the scriptures looking for life, right? Mm-hmm. But but they testify mean. So just sort of drawing these two things together, which is that the source of life ultimately is the way of Jesus. And so when we guard our hearts, right, we're, we're guarding our hearts, not simply from the the evil man that he's warned people about, but also this type of self-righteous man that is so prevalent in Israel's history, which, which thinks that it's life can be found apart from a heart that's been transformed by Jesus. So Mm -hmm. I I just think there's so much in this chapter that really you get to pull together with all of scripture and the gospel that flows from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Now, how would you apply when you're thinking about preaching this? We've talked about the application a little bit already, but it's some other ways you think specifically that you would apply chapter four to a church on a Sunday morning. Yeah. So one one thing too, and this would be um, kind of transition from it, another image of, I think that you could point to Jesus is not just the idea of life, as you just mentioned, but, but the idea of light. Um, verse yeah. 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know, you know, what they stumble over. And so Jesus is the light of the world. Um, you know, he, the light shines to try to expose sin and to try to help you, you know, walk in, uh, in the path of, of the, the image here is again, that it's, it's much easier to travel when your way is lit up than it is to travel when you're <laughs> yeah. in the dark. And so I don't know if you ever have this experience in my house. Uh, usually I'm one of the earliest to get up. And, um, and so I try to keep the lights kind of, you know, off and not wake everybody up. And, but at times that can be pretty, uh, you know, pretty dicey and you can stub your toe and you can do all kinds of things that, but so the idea is that 
is that there's that there, there you need this light, and that's what wisdom is. That's what G- mm-hmm. Jesus is. He's he's lighting up this path so that you can walk on it. And one of the, the concepts here in terms of application is this idea that it's going to get it's going to get brighter and brighter. So that the, the the further along you walk, mm-hmm. the, yeah. and, and the, the more wisdom that you're you know receiving, not the easier this is going to get, but the the, the more you're going to be able to see. Yeah, the clearer um, and, and it gets clearer. And when you, when you don't, so then, so then you begin to, you know, to, to, to move in the right direction when, when you're, when you're not able to do that, then again, it's showing that there's, um, that there's some issue there in terms of your, your relationship with Jesus. Mm. And, um, and so you need to repent, you need to get back on the, on the, 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 the lit path. But, um, I think one of the main ways that I went at application here was just trying to, uh, especially at the end of the chapter, was just trying to uh, combat the notion of behavior modification, and so yeah. um, you know this just this idea of like white knuckling and and just you know I, I can't remember who originally I think it may have been Matt Chandler that I heard originally the illustration from, but that that um, behavior modification is like mowing dandelions, like it it may <laughs> look good. good for a second, yeah. but then it, it then it just pops right back up, right? And you if you don't do the work of uprooting the dandelions and then your, you know, your yard is going to have these weeds in it. And, and, and so this idea of, um, you know, life springing from the heart that it's the, it's the governing, you know, we we're inside out beings and, 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 and so, um, we've got to do, we've got to do heart work, um, in order to, in order to see real change take place in our lives. And so, uh, and so that's what I really, kind of go after there is that is that you've got to you've got to when it comes to foolishness for example you've got to do the work in your heart to figure out why am i being stingy okay why am i having a hard time controlling my tongue with my wife or with my children why am i um you know why am i having a hard time finishing things on a deadline why do i get so distracted what what is it in your heart? What is the? I mean, it really, it's it's you know again an issue of worship. What are the idols in my heart that are uh, causing me to to not be able to follow through on these things? And and so whatever those are, then you gotta you've got to do the work of repentance and crying out to the Lord for um, you know for the Spirit to to work in your heart and your life and and to try to take thoughts captive and to try to fight against sin. I mean, that's just um, you know one of the massive habits of the Christian life is that we have to continue to do. Yeah, this is such a key passage to all of Proverbs, right? Because we talked about, I know early on that Proverbs is often misused. You jump right mm-hmm. into the Proverbs and it becomes very much, if you're not careful and you don't interpret it correctly, behavior modification. Oh, just mm-hmm. try to do this and s- stop doing that. You know, try harder here, uh, change this, change that. But chapter four tells us like, no, that that's not what I'm saying in the rest of the book. Like this has to be, this has to start in the heart. It's more than just, you know, a, a long list of do's and don'ts with case studies attached. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm sure that, you know, this, this is one of those passages that you keep coming back to as you go through the book of Proverbs. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the, the issue, you mentioned covenant, the covenant issue. And I think that's I think that's a major part of what's of what's happening here is that this recognition that there needs to be regeneration, and so without 
getting wisdom without that personal relationship with wisdom, without wisdom being written on your heart, like the law being written on your heart, um, you're just you're not going to be able to 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 walk in wisdom. It doesn't matter how how much education you get or how, how often you read these. You know, you, you read a proverb a day. You know, every you read through the book every month, like Billy Graham. It's not going to matter if if there's not this internal change that, that takes place at the heart level. And, um, and so I, it is very, very foundational for everything that's going to come afterwards. Yeah. As you're saying that John reminds me of what you said. I think it was in our first podcast on Proverbs when you were talking about how this is Deuteronomy six in a, mm. in a lot of ways. How do you love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How do you, you know, how, do, how the Shema there, how do you actually do that? Well, this is the, this is the outworking of it on sort of every day, every, every occasion outworking of Deuteronomy chapter six, but that starts too with a, a need for the heart to love the Lord, your God. And so um, I think you see that again here in chapter four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, great. Well, anything and, else and, to add before we wrap up on chapter four? Yeah, just to, and as a matter of just practical application, I know I mentioned this just briefly, but you've got when you're doing this heart work, um, you, you know, you've got to really ask the Lord to help you be able to assess your own situation. I mean, obviously, there's times when we our hearts are are deceiving, and we may not even be able to to put our finger on it. But like it, you know, it's um, you've got to be able to. I mean, this is this is throughout the scriptures. God, when it comes to right, like what real righteousness, you, you mentioned self-righteousness earlier in Israel's history. When we're talking about real righteousness, it's not just that God wants to, I mean, this is clear from the Sermon on the Mount as well. It's not just that God wants to get rid of the sinful behavior that we're doing. Obviously, he does want to do that. But he, he says, no, I'm, I'm after more than that. I'm after getting rid of the heart motivations that even make that a possibility in the first place. It's yeah. like I, in my yeah. kingdom, it's 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 not enough that you you're just you're not sleeping around on your wife and you're not murdering people that tick you off. No, I want you to. I don't want there to be the anger and the lust that leads to those things in the first place. And then even goes further, and he replaces them with with like loving righteous behavior. I want you to to in the Sermon on the Mount, don't divorce your wife. You know, stay faithful to her. I want you uh, not only do not kill your enemies. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to reconcile with yeah. people that. Um, that have you know have wronged you. Once you pray for those who persecute you, so so he's he's that's what the, that's why the heart is so necessary because it's it's this move away from not just cutting off the sinful behavior. It, he obviously wants that, but he wants to go even further than that, and he wants hearts that are you know pointed towards righteousness. I think that will lead us into uh, next week's podcast and our next chapter very well because we're going to talk about these issues of relationships, marriage, and how there's certainly behavioral aspects, but it's really about a heart that loves the Lord, loves wisdom and loves their spouse more than they love what is offered by the world. So thanks, John. Um, it was great to look at this chapter with you. Thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. I will see you next week.
Thank you for listening to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources. Thank you.